Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. As we looked at Revelation chapter 4, it's after we'd finished the churches of the Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, and now he has given John an opportunity to open, to have an open door in heaven where he goes in the Spirit to find out what is happening in heaven. What a glorious privilege. Few men had had that privilege before, but they never really written about it. But John has been given the opportunity to write about it. And he says the first thing he sees is a throne there. And when he describes that throne and the one on the throne, there's no doubt about it. It's God the Father who's on that throne, and he's describing him in whatever ways he can, in whatever ways to point about the majesty and glory of God. Then he says, after he sees the throne and the one who's sitting on it, he introduces us to the 24 elders, 24 other thrones, and 24 elders who are sitting on those thrones. And I shared with you last week that what I believe the Word of God teaches is that those represent the Old Testament and the New Testament, the tribes of Israel being 12 and the other 12 being the 12 apostles. And those represent 24 as the all-inclusive number, so it doesn't represent just those people, but it represents both dispensations, that all of the believers of the Old Testament who believe by faith and all the believers in the New Testament who believe by faith are encompassed around in those 24 elders worshiping God there on the throne, being a co-laborer with God. They have been... They have, are seated, remember? They've finished their task. They have, are wearing white raiment, the raiment of the redeemed, and they have crowns on their head, the crown of the victor. And the picture is that we're looking into heaven whenever things are completed, when the rapture of the church has happened, and all the redeemed who have believed in God are there in glory, and they're in glory there seeing God, seeing Jesus, seeing what's happening, but also going to be able to see back on the earth of what is going to take place in the time of the tribulation and all those things leading up to the second coming. So get in your mind, the picture in chapter 4 is the redeemed of God. If you're redeemed, you're going to be in heaven. You're going to be one of those sitting on those thrones. You're going to be one of those 24 elders. You're going to be a part of that, all-inclusiveness. You're going to be a part of that. And what's going to happen in beginning in chapter 6 through the end of the book is all those things going to take place in the world, all right? I want to introduce you to somebody else, some others, who are found here in this uh, chapter. They're called the four living beings. The four living beings. It's there in verse 6 of chapter 4. I'm going to begin to read it. It says, And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures... Full of eyes in front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion. And the second creature like a calf or an ox. And the third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say... Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God 
Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, that's you, remember, will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things, and because of thy will or thy good pleasure, they existed and were created. We've been introduced to four living beings. Now, if you're reading the King James Version, it's going to say this, and there were four beasts. There were four beasts. The American Standard that I'm reading from says four creatures. Neither one of those is really a good translation of the word because there are two different words there. One is the word theria. Theria is literally in Greek the word beast. We will find that later in the Revelation. Remember, there's going to be the beast who's going to come from the sea. And that's talking about the Antichrist and the false prophet. And it uses that word theria. Here, the second word is used. It's not the word theria that is translated beast or what somebody might call creature. But it is the word zoe, Z-O-A, where we get our word zoo from, our zoology. It means a living being. So the best translation for this is there are four living beings around the throne of God. I don't want you to get the idea that there's four beasts or there are four fearful creatures. There are four living beings around the throne of God. Now, Now, hold on a second. Listen to me very carefully so that we can understand Now, these living beings are different from you and me, right? They are different from you and me. And do you ever notice that we set the standard of what normal is based on who we are? Isn't that right? We are normal. Human beings are normal. So that means if you're normal, you have two eyes. If somebody had one eye, they'd call him Cyclops, and he's weird, right? Or if somebody has eyes all over their body, we would consider that strange or a creature. Listen, God does not, he doesn't judge things by our standard, all right? In other words, if if something has one, more than one head, it's weird. If something has more than two wings, that's strange. Well, these living creatures have eyes all over their body. They have six wings. They fly by, but that's, that's symbolic. The eyes is the fact that these four living beings who stand before the throne of God have eyes that see and everything that happens and can see all around all of creation to be aware of what's happening at what times and at all times. And the fact that they have Six wings is the fact that they're fast and they can go and move wherever they need to move. They are not omnipresent like God, for only God is omnipresent everywhere at one time. But they can be wherever they need to be in the speed to get there to accomplish God's purposes. 
That symbolism is very, very important that they see all things and know all that's happening in this world and can be in this world any place that they need to be at any time when they need to be there, and that's accomplishing God's purpose because these four living creatures primarily have responsibility in this world. Their role is in this world, what they're going to do in this world. That's why they are numbered four. In numerology, the number four is the number for the world. It's the world number. That's, we know that. The world has, we have four seasons, right? We have four points on the compass. Just go back and look at the world and see how many things are in the numbers of four. And four represents the world. God is the number three, and the perfect number, you take four and three is the number seven, and that's the perfect number of seven. The world and all he does, and God and all his glory brings about that completeness. But these four living beings, they have a primary role and responsibility of what is going to happen in this world. And, and whenever John sees them, they are there before the throne. They are there before the throne of God. They have a responsibility before the throne of God. They're going to do something on behalf of God. They are there. Now, here's the question, and everybody would like to ask this. Who or what are these four beings? Is that interesting to you? Who or what are these four living beings? Well, let me share you something with you. Sometimes we have to speculate about things in prophecy and in the Bible about what these things might be. But did you know when it comes to the four living creatures or the four living beings, you do not have to speculate. The Bible tells you what they are. Did you know that? The greatest commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And the Bible will tell you many things that you will need to know, like a building block, so that you can understand that. And we are introduced to these four living beings in the book of Ezekiel. Turn to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 1. If you remember, the book of Ezekiel begins in chapter 1 where he sees a vision. And he sees a vision of four living beings. Four living beings coming out of the storm, out of this black. He sees these four living beings. And listen to how he describes. I'm not going to have a chance to read it. You need to read it when you get home. But this way he describes them in verse 10 of chapter 1. And as for the form of their faces, each had the face of a man. And all four had the face of a lion. And on the right, in the face of a bull or an ox or a calf. And all four had the face of an eagle. Have you ever heard that before? Now, he describes them that all of them have all four faces, but every one of them are the four faces, the four forms that are in. Every one of them are the lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle. Now, if you'll read the rest of that chapter, and you go over here in verses 22 through 28, it's a vision of the divine, and it's a division of the throne. And you know what you're going to find there? It's what John described back in the first part of chapter 4 is exactly what Ezekiel saw. He even describes the rainbow around the throne and the one who's sitting on the throne. Ezekiel introduces us to that in chapter 1. But he not only introduces us to to who they are and the fact that they exist, he's going to tell us their name. Did you know that? Turn to chapter 10 of Ezekiel. Chapter 10. Verse 20, that's what he says. These are the living beings. He saw them again 
And he said, these are the living beings that I saw beneath the God of Israel by the river Kabar, talking about chapter 1. So I knew that they were cherubim. I knew that they were cherubim. Cherubim are a group of angels, the created of God, the heavenly host of God, who carry on specific and special responsibilities, especially as related to this world. The cherubim of God, these four cherubim of God are going to carry on the purposes and plans of God. Now, very quickly, let me give you a few references so you'll know that cherubim is not the first place we've ever seen them as Ezekiel, or it's the only place it recognized. Write these down very quickly. In Genesis chapter 3, remember when man sinned and man was cast out of the garden, God placed who? He placed a cherub or one of the cherubim on the east side of the garden to do what? To protect the tree of life. Lest man in his sin live eternally in the state of sin. So you find in the third chapter of Genesis, the cherub or the cherubim. Not only that, when the tabernacle was designed and all the specifics given for how the tabernacle, the veil of the tabernacle that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was interwoven in that were the cherubim of God. The cherubim of God. Whenever the tabernacle was done away with in the temple, Solomon built the temple. He had the cherubim of God interwoven between that glorious veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. He had the cherubim made of wood covered with gold on the panels of the temple. And almost every instrument of the temple had the cherubim of God. And the mercy seat that sat upon the ark of the covenant in the holy of holies had two cherubim on each side of the mercy seat. If you go to Israel and you, and you go to the institute where they have rebuilt everything getting ready for the next temple, you will see the ark of God and you'll see the mercy seat and you'll see a, you'll see a replica, or a real thing, of what that would look like with those cherubim with their angels, their, their wings touching each other on the mercy seat. And you know how God was described in the Old Testament? God is described as Jehovah, the God who dwells between the cherubim. The God who dwells between the cherubim. Well, even when Herod built his his next temple after Solomon's temple was destroyed, once again he put the cherubim there. In Isaiah chapter 6, when he has that glorious vision of the the uh, train of God filling the temple, he introduces the cherubim there. And then in the Revelation, you find the cherubim of God. So we know who they are. We don't have to wonder who they are. We know they are the cherubim of God, these four living beings. Now here's the next question. Why do they have these four faces? Well, why, why those distinct four faces? And, and there are many different opinions about that. Let me give you just a few so that you can write those down as possibilities. One of the reasons that the cherubim uh, have different faces is because they related to this world. They are really in a manifold 
revelation of all of God's creation or the state of God's creation. Let me show you what I mean. One cherubim has the face of man, God's highest creation. All right? Another one has the face of a lion, which is all of the wildlife. All of the wildlife of God's creation. The next had the ox, and that was all the domesticated of God's creation. And then one has a flying eagle, and that represents all of the fowl of the air that are able to fly above, above the realm of the earth. It represents just the manifold animated aspect of God's creation. Another has to do with, in the Old Testament, you've got to remember the Old Testament, in the Talmud, they said that each one of those represented Israel. And God's protective, redemptive plan for Israel. You might say, well, how, how could those four creatures, how could those four beings, how could those four animals, their faces represent the tribes of Israel? Well, remember that God formed the tribes. He got them out of Egypt. He gets them across the wilderness. He 40 years preserves them. And he finally takes them in to the promised land. And they take over that land. All of that is the grace and protection of God. And all of those times, the children of Israel are moving in battle array. And they're moving as God had instructed for them to move across the wilderness and in the promised land. You remember how they were to move? When the tabernacle got up, was, was taken up, the tent was taken up, and the cloud moved or the fire moved, they were what? They were to follow. And they were given specific instructions of how they were to follow. Some on the east, some on the west, some on the north, some on the south, of how they would follow the banner. And in each one of those, each one of those sides, there was one tribe that was to hold up its standard, and three tribes would, would walk under each one of those standards. You get the picture? There's three tribes on each side, but one of the tribes would hold up their standard, and for that season, all of them would walk under that standard. Well, look at what the standards are. Judah was one of the standards that was to be raised. And do you know what the symbol of the standard of Judah was? A lion. For Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Reuben was another one that was supposed to be the banner that was raised. You know what was his symbol? Man. Another one was Dan. You know what the symbol of Dan is? The flying eagle. And the final one was Ephraim. And Ephraim, what's his symbol? The ox. And so all four, all four of those standards under the Old Testament aspect, under the nation of Israel, all four of those being walked along is as though the cherubim of God is responsible for walking with Israel to take them wherever they needed to go, to protect them, to do whatever they're supposed to do, to give them victory wherever they were, because the standard of Israel represented the presence of the cherubim of God doing their work and fulfilling God's purpose and plan. Another is that these four represent the attributes of God. The lion represents the aspect of the majesty and omnipotence of God. The ox represents the faithful patience, the faithful patience of God. Have you ever heard anybody say, man, you're slow as an ox? (laughs) 
You're slow as an ox. An ox is not fast. He's just faithful and patient and steady. The faithful and patience of God. Another is man who represents the intelligence of God. And the ego represents the supreme sovereignty of God. If you're in the New Testament, somebody says that the New Testament is represented by those four cherubim in the face of those four cherubim. Because each one of the Gospels signifies one of those four cherub. Matthew, in Matthew, Jesus is introduced as the lion of the tribe of Judah. In Mark, he's described as the servant, the faithful servant of God, like the ox. In Luke, he is the man incarnate, the man incarnate. And in John, he is the sovereign God like the eagle who flies in the sky. So in each and every one of those faces, there could be different meanings, different representation, but all of them point to God's protective plan. It it points to God's knowing that in Old Testament and New Testament, that each of those chair represents a purpose plan of God. So go back to Revelation chapter 4. And we've described a little bit about them. It says this in verse 7. And the first creature was like a lion. And the second creature like a calf. The third creature had a face like the man of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living beings are creatures. Each one of them having six wings. We talked about that. And full of eyes around and within. We talked about that. Now the most important thing. What are they doing what are these four living beings doing we find that they are before the throne of god the first thing that they are doing first and foremost that they are doing is they are leading in the praise of god you see that that's the most important thing they do now stop here for just a minute I don't care what your plan, what you think God's plan for you in your life. I, I don't know what that is. God probably has great creativity in what he's doing. But let me tell you one thing. I can assure you this, that the first and foremost thing that God created you for is to give praise to him. All right? Is to praise and adore him. Here are the cherubim of God with all of this power. And you'll see the power they have. And you have all this authority that they're going to have in this world. But the first and foremost thing is that they are to lead forth in the praise of God. If you don't fulfill that part, you've missed out on the rest, okay? Because that's the first and foremost. You say, how do you know that? Well, look what it says. There in verse 8. And these cherubim, day and night... Do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. He is the almighty one who was and who is and who is to come. They lead forth in praise. Before anybody else joins in, Before the 24 elders join in, before all of creation, you're going to find in in chapter 5, all of creation, all of creation is going to be praising the Lamb. Amen? 
But before any of that happens, the cherubim are leading forth in the praise of God. And when do they do it? Night and day. Night and day. They are praising God. And whenever they praise God, they simply say before God the attributes of God. You know the greatest way to praise God is just tell God who he is. Just acknowledge who he is. Just read in his word and find out what it says about God and just say that back to God. You don't have to use flowery language. You don't have to use all kind of adjectives. You just need to say what God says about himself. And they focus on praising God in three attributes. First of all, he is holy God. He is holy, holy, holy. Putting in triplet form that there is none like God. He is holy other. No one can be like him. No one can compare to him. He is beyond us. He is separated from us. We cannot comprehend him. There is no way to grasp him. He is holy other, holy God. He is holy God. He is not only holy and separated from us in his uniqueness. He is the almighty God. He is God of all power. There is nothing that he cannot do. There is nothing he cannot accomplish. There is nothing too great for him. He is the definite article, the almighty. There's no one who has the power like God. Not only is he holy and all powerful, he is the eternal God. He was, he is and he is to come. He was forever, and he is going to be forever, and he is right now, and he's the only one who is forever. Everyone else, everything else, everyone had a beginning except God. And so they came forth in the praise of God. There, now, this is not Jesus. This is God the Father. Remember, Jesus is going to be introduced to us in chapter 5 when they say, who's worthy to unseal the book? And when the Lamb of God comes and walks in, just read chapter 5 next week, all right? Read chapter 5 and see what it says, man, worthy art the Lamb. And he gets his, but this is the Father. And he says, the Father is holy and the Father is powerful. The Father is glorious. The Father is eternal. Saying who God is to God. But but that's not that's not the end. They don't just say that and then look what happens next in verse 9. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him. Whatever they're praising God and that's what you do. That's what you're doing in praise. You're giving glory and honor and thanks to God. You see that? Praise is all about giving glory, honor, and thanks to God. To him who sits on the throne, the Almighty One, the Holy One, to him who lives forever and ever, he is the Eternal One. Just describes who it is that they're praising. But whenever they begin to praise God and they begin to give glory to God, look what happens next. The 24 elders. Who's that? What'd you say? It's who? It's us. It's us. Now, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Wake somebody up. Punch somebody. Wake them up a minute. 
All right? I want you to hear this. Listen. Listen to what it says. Whenever the 24 elders heard the cherubim praising God, the 24 elders will fall down before him. Did y'all hear that? Going to fall down before him. They're going to humble themselves. They're not going to stand up and pray. They're not going to stand up and praise. You know what they're going to do? They're going to get on their face before God. Could I ask you a question rhetorically? You don't have to hold your hand up. Please don't. When's the last time you got on your face before God? When's the last time you got on your knees before God? When is the last time? Some of you are saying, well, if I get down, I can't get up. <laughs> well, bless God, at this time, you'll be able to get back up. Amen? But some of us who can get down and can get up still don't. Here's a little word of encouragement to you. Get to practicing. Get to practicing. Because when you get to glory, you know what's going to happen? You're going to fall on your face before Almighty God. Look what he says. I'm not, I'm, this is, remember, you're the 24 elders. You better hope you are, amen? Because you don't want to be around chapter 6. 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever, the eternal God, and will cast their crowns before the throne. And everybody's wondering, how big's your crown going to be? How big's your crown going to be? I don't have any idea how big crown. All that matters is that that crown, whatever that crown that you have, and that's that victor's crown, you're going you're gonna to cast it before God the Father. Because you know why? It's a symbol. The Stephanos, remember, is a symbol of victory. But how do you have the victory? Because of how wonderful you are? How do you have the victory? Because of the great life you lived? Because of the redemption you won? How do you have the victory? Because he is your victory. He is your victory. Jesus is the one who overcame. Jesus is the one who's a redeemer. And so what you're doing before Almighty God, whenever you go to praise God, you're saying, God, I won this, but I know I didn't win this. I know you gave it to me by grace and by mercy and by your kindness. And I know who's the real reason for the victory. It's your grace, your mercy, your plan. And here's the crown for you are worthy. You got the picture? Cast it before him. And then they sing this song. Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. You are worthy, God, to receive all glory, honor, and power. Why? For thou didst create all things. You are creator, God. You're creator of all in this world. You're creator of me. You're creator of all things. And now this is going to tell you your purpose, all right? I love the way King James writes this particular verse better than New American Standard. New American Standard says, And because of thy will they existed and were created. King James says it this, And for thy good pleasure they are and were created. Do you know why you were created? You ever wondered, man, why did God create me? He created you for one reason, for his pleasure. <laughs> did you hear that? For his pleasure. And what he created you for is to be pleasing to him. 
Your whole life is to be pleasing to Him, to be honoring to Him. And when you please Him, you have fulfilled your purpose. That's what it's all about. And that's the song you're going to sing. You better learn it. You better learn it. Because you're going to bow before Almighty God and say, God, you created all things. You created me. And for your pleasure, I was created. And you are worthy of honor and glory and praise and power. I praise you because you are an awesome, awesome God. Well, first and foremost, they lead in praise. They start to pray. The 24 elders start to praise. The 24 elders then come along and they join in the praise. And we haven't got there yet. Wait till you get to chapter 5. Like I said, all of creation, even that lost reprobate person, that lost reprobate person who said they'll never worship Jesus, they're going to sing, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. They're going to sing it. All of creation. But who leads the way? The cherubim. The cherubim. Very quickly, though, they don't just praise. That's not all that they're doing. There's something else there to do. They are posted before the throne of God, waiting for the instruction of God. For see, remember, their purpose is to work in this world. Their their ministry is in this world. And they are standing before Almighty God for God to give them instruction and to make decrees of what they are to carry out in this world. They're waiting for his instruction of what needs to be carried out. Now, at different times, there'd been different things. I told you about in Genesis chapter 3, God sent a cherubim in order to protect man from eating the tree of life when he was in a lost state. So that was a benevolent ministry that they had, all right? Whenever he sent them to Ezekiel to reveal to Ezekiel that glorious revelation, there's a revealing aspect of that, but not here. In this particular story, in this particular place, in this particular time, we said last week that around the throne there is lightning and peals of thunder. Remember that? The lightning and peals of thunder point to the fact that this is a throne of judgment. This is a throne of judgment that God sits on. And therefore, those cherubim are waiting for God's instruction about what has to be done and needs to be done to judge this world. To judge this world. Do you know who's going to be the instruments of judgment in this world? Do you know who's going to carry out the decrees that are going to happen in chapter 6 and follow? You know who's going to do that? These cherubim. They are given that responsibility. Can I show you that very quickly? Turn over to chapter 6 for just a second. Chapter 6. I don't have time to read them all, but I'll give them to you. In chapter 6, verse number 1, you find out that whenever it comes time for the, for the book, the seal to be opened. Whenever that seal is opened, in verse 1 it says, And I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the living, four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, Come! These are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You know about that, right? We'll talk to you. The first of those cherubim, those four cherubim, he there in verse 1 says, come. And that white horse and the one riding on it, talking about the Antichrist, is going to come forth. Look at verse 3. And when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature, the second cherubim, saying, come. And the horse who's red comes with war. 
And in in verse 5, and the third living creature saying, come. And in verse 7, the fourth living creature says, come. In chapter 15, they say, come. In other words, who is ushering in the horsemen of the apocalypse? These four cherubim. They have a responsibility to carry out and to execute judgment upon this world. And during the time of the tribulation, they are active, administrative, carrying out God's plan for redeeming this world. It's all about redeeming this world. How and what must they do to redeem this world? These four cherubim have that responsibility. Now you might you might ask and say, "Well, why why do the cher- why are the cherubim given that responsibility?" But well, I'm not sure. But I can tell you why I think. I can tell you why I think. When you get home, read Isaiah, Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. Uh, well, about verse 10 is starting there. But you know what you find out. In Ezekiel 28, you find God's recollection and God's revelation of the fall of Lucifer. The fall of Lucifer. You remember about that? Oh, Satan was named Lucifer. And do you remember who he was? You remember who he was? In verse 14, this is what it says. He's talking to to Lucifer. You were the anointed cherub. You, Lucifer... You were the anointed cherub who covers. And then he goes, you need to read it. He goes there and talks about all of his beauty and all of his glory and all the wonderful things. And then he talks about his pride and how he lifted up and how he was cast out of heaven. See, Lucifer, Satan, was a cherubim. A cherubim who is supposed to be under the authority of Almighty God talking about how glorious God is, that he's holy, he's almighty, he's eternal, who's supposed to be leading forth in the praise and adoration of God, who's supposed to be directing this whole world together and overseeing this world that all of God's creation is going to worship almighty God. He had the ultimate responsibility of that. He was one of those cherubim, but he let pride creep creep up in his heart and he wanted to be God instead of God being God and sin came into his life and when sin entered into his life he was cast out of heaven and he was on this earth and he deceived man and by deceiving man and causing man to be just like him and wanting to be God rather than serve God he caused sin to enter into man and to all of this world and the reason that this world is in a fallen state And the reason this world has to be redeemed and the reason this world needed Jesus to come die is because one of the cherubim forsook his responsibility and lost his place. And now God has given the responsibility to the rest of the cherubim to redeem this world. They're going to carry out the execution. They're going to be the ones who are involved because Lucifer, one of their own, is the one who caused the mess to start with. And those four living beings who are first and foremost praising God, 
are waiting for the instruction from God of what they are to do and what has to happen to redeem this world, to bring things to an end in order for eventually Jesus to come again and to establish his millennial reign on this earth. They are waiting. They are ready. They are eager to carry out the work of God. Now, a couple things. You better get practiced up on praising God, amen? You might better oil your knees a little bit and get practiced on that because we're going to be doing that. If you don't like praising God, you're going to be really uncomfortable in glory. You're going to be really uncomfortable, okay? So you better get where you like praising God because the cherubim are going to lead forth in praising him. But the other thing is, you glory in the fact if you are one of those 24 elders and sitting where they are because you get to be a part of that and not chapter 6. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you don't have a relationship with him, then you need to get saved today because chapter 6 is coming. And no one, no one, no one needs to experience that. God does not want you to experience that. That's why he sent Jesus for you. But you have to give your heart to Jesus. Nobody can do it for you. You have to do it yourself. To give your heart, give your life to Jesus. But he's willing to accept you today. He's willing to receive you today. If you'll simply say, yes, I need you, Lord. I need you. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.